And now, a few minutes with two of my friends, who will soon be yours, the Techie and the Cowboy. All right, here we go with another episode of the Techie and the Cowboy. We're closing off our three-part series where we're doing our season finale. This is our one-year anniversary of the Techie and the Cowboy. So we thought we'd do three different episodes where we actually summarize all of the 15 episodes that we've done as Techie and the Cowboy all within the last year. And so we're going to start off this one with episode 11. And this is what people think. Really, we had a hard time narrowing it down on the, you know, what it is to be able to get. So I would suggest, of course, with all these episodes, you go back and listen to the whole thing. But TW, talk a little bit about these, these uh, two clips from this episode. Well, one of the things that we really got into was talking about why we worry about what people think. Had to do with peer pressure, had to do with a kind of herd mentality, and then there were the traditions of the family and the influences that came from that. So it came to be, as we lead a Christian life, what is influencing the decisions that we make? And as an example, we pulled from the episode, two stories, we're going to play back to back and show how one is under one influence, and one is under another influence, or in this case, a lack of influence. It's the individual's decision. All right, so let's play it. I remember one of the most astounding remarks that I had heard made up to that point that kind of gets to this topic is a good friend of mine, when I was a senior in high school, he lived in a suburb of Chicago that was called Beverly Hills. It was not, you know, California kind of thing, but that's where a lot of well-to-do people lived. And his dad was a physician or a surgeon. He was a doctor of some kind. And I remember going to the Beverly Hills Country Club and, you know, seeing all the stuff that was there. He took this young lady to a function there, not when I was visiting, but to a function there. And he'd met her, I don't know, at a coffee shop or somewhere. It was not through a family connection. And his mother actually pulled him aside later on and discouraged it and said to him, you can't date this girl because she's not of our class, dear. And so I thought, wow, that really exists. So she had set the bar of what was acceptable in their family for their tradition and their society and their expectations. And now here's the second story. There was, before I married Fran, I was dating, you know, to, after, after Cindy died. And I went out with this very lovely lady. She was a legal secretary, worked for a very big firm in downtown. And knew a lot of people, very pleasant to be with, was very likable. The one thing, though, was that she stopped her education at high school. She didn't go go to college. And when she told me that, I thought, you're the first person I've really met that's been that way that I've been this close to. I wouldn't have known that if she hadn't have said it. Until she said to me one day, why do you use all those big words? You're just trying to impress me with the fact that you have an education and I don't. Well, I wasn't. As I told her, I said, sorry, that's the way I talk day to day. It's just, I'm a man of words. I love words. It's like a hobby. It's a vocation. 
I, I, I thrill in using words in the right context. And at that point, it became obvious that the backgrounds were too different. But it didn't, it wasn't because family said, oh, you can't, you can't get serious with this woman because she doesn't have your education. It's just that it was going to be a problem between us. And I could see that that's a, a different criteria in doing that selection. Okay, so we can see by the juxtaposition of those two stories that in the first situation, my friend had the decision made for him, or at least there was a heavy influence to have him make a decision in a certain way. It's why ideas continue from generation to generation unless they're rejected by the young. In the second situation, the person, in this case me, was able to come to a decision by himself without influences of his family or of peers, friends. Decision was made by a criteria internal to him. So we see same situation, boy meets girl, doesn't work out, boy and girl split. First case, family driven. Second case, individually driven. And we should use the ethics and morals that we have based on our beliefs in Christianity to drive our decisions, which is the gist of the episode of the podcast. We can also tell from that that last story is true because you use a word like juxtaposition, which I would never have used in a regular sentence ever, <laughs> ever before. But it's an awesome word, but I just, I would never have thought of it. So you definitely are a man of words. That's, that's for real. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's move on to episode... Affirmative. <laughs> Affirmative. <laughs> All right, so let's move on to episode 12. This was another episode that you would need to really go back and listen to because we walked through Joseph's life and all the different things that he went to and how it really aligns with our journey as entrepreneurs or just our journey in life, period. But there was two different sections out of that that I really wanted to be able to emphasize pulling out of this clip. So let's listen to uh, you know what it is that we have to say in episode 12. So Joseph gets sold to these slave traders, or actually they were just merchants, and they decided for 20 pieces of silver that they were going to go ahead and, and sell their brother, right? And, uh, and so they took the coat back to the, the fathers, and here comes the next part of Joseph's story. So after Joseph's brother sell him to these merchants, he ends up being underneath the guy who it is that takes to him because he's such a kind, again, he's a good boy, so he's a kind kid a good boy, and he's actually a beautiful, cheerful, and willing in his spirit. So he's still cheerful. Even in his situation, he's cheerful and willing in his spirit, and his master actually became very friend to him and made him number two in his house. He actually placed him in charge of his house, and everything in it comes over all of his affairs and even over his fellow servants. But the master's wife, who was at first very friendly to Joseph, became his enemy because Joseph would not do wrong in order to be able to please her. She wanted him to commit adultery with her, and he said no. So, so here he is trying to do the right thing again. He's worked his way up to number two. He's over the house, and he's over all of the affairs. The wife decides that she wants a piece of Joseph. Joseph says no and tries to do the right thing by it, and she decides because she's so embarrassed that she's going to flip it and make it sound like Joseph attacks her and ends up getting being put in jail. So again, he finds himself from the top to the bottom of a situation. So it just shows the ups and downs that you go through as entrepreneurs. I mean, now you've had a little bit of success. You feel like you're on top and something happens that sets you back. So here he is in prison and he still has a cheerful demeanor. So this is the common thread that you see around this whole story. No matter what situation he's in, he's always cheerful and happy and wants other people to do so 
as well. So in prison with him is the chief butler and the chief baker who were sent there because the king was mad at him, basically, right? So the king of Egypt was mad at him, puts him in jail. This is common among that time. And these two men were actually under Joseph's care. So he waited for them and, and because they were men of rank. So even in prison, he's having to wait on people who it is that are in jail alongside with him. And one day the, the chief uh, baker was really, really sad. And Joseph's cheery. And he's like, I want you to be happy. So what's wrong with you? And they tell them each one of them said they had a dream right? And they talked about the strange gene and they didn't know what it means. And basically Joseph interprets the dream. And he says, the dream means that you're going to be able to get out of here, out of prison, go back and work for Pharaoh, and you're going to be back at his table again. But he said, the only thing I ask for interpreting these dreams is that once it is that you get out, you don't forget about me. Like, remember the guy who it is that told you you're going to be able to get there. And sure enough, it happens just like it is that Joseph says, they get out and they go back and they start working for Pharaoh. But of course, they forget about him. Right? He's still in jail. He's waiting and nothing happens. The, the connection that he thought he had made, the hookup that he thought he had is all of a sudden a dud because they completely 100% forget about him. So this happens in business and entrepreneurship as well. You know, you find this door that you think is an open door and you see it and you have all these connections. Maybe it is that you even fashion your business around this opportunity and all of a sudden that door slams shut in your face. And it's really tempting at that point just to be able to call it quits and say that maybe this is not for me, which Joseph could have done. I mean, now he's in prison. He helped these guys out. They made it back to the top. He could just say, I'm going to die here for the rest of my life and, and lose his cheery demeanor, but he does not do that. Well, the correlation to that is a situation where somebody has done like Joseph did. He helped somebody out. They effectively owed him a favor. He's waiting for it to happen. Nothing happens. Then all of a sudden, boom, the guy shows up, says, hey, you did interpret the dream. We need some dreams interpreted. You're the man, blah, blah, blah. To which Joseph could have easily said, oh, you need me now. You know, where were you for the last 18 months while I was stuck in jail and you were eating, you know, off of Pharaoh's table? And, and that's quite common. You, you see in things where all of a sudden a person from your past that you did some favors for comes because they need you, not because they're doing it out, out of friendship, love, anything, but it's in their best interest to help you and you get helped in the process. So how do you weigh that? Should I go ahead and do this? Yes, I'm going to be helped. I'm being helped for the wrong reason, maybe. Should I go ahead and do it? Not. Basically, that's out of your hands. At some point, you could say, God made the situation that left them with the inevitable decision. I got to go get this guy to help me out because I know he's capable of doing it. Excellent. So you see two different situations where Joseph made the best out of his position, no matter what it was. But the main thing is that he kept a cheerful demeanor and he always trusted in God throughout the whole entire thing, which is really hard for us to do. I mean, it's easy for us to praise God and give him glory whenever it is that we're at the peak of our life, you know, and everything is going good. But whenever we get down, you know, in the dumps for Joseph, that's a literal thing. He's down in the prison or whatever else. Are we still able to serve and be the light? for others and allow God to be able to shine through us, uh, even whenever it is our situation isn't ideal. Again, you got to go back and listen to that whole episode because uh, it tells Joseph's whole story and it makes a lot of different correlations between our day-to-day -day life and Joseph's story. Good. One of the, the points that we don't want to forget in this story of Joseph is how, because we talk about the coat of many colors, 
that was something that he flaunted with his brothers. And when he told them the dreams, the dreams to them seem so extreme and so self-serving. Even his father, Jacob, said, you know, well, you might want to tone that back a little. So in some ways, he brought this on himself. And eventually, God changed circumstances so that it worked out for the betterment. So he learned from that experience, but it showed throughout that God was in control. Love it. Definitely got to go back and watch that episode. All right, so moving on to episode 13, Too Much Confidence and You Will Get Thrown. This is TW's uh, place where it is that he thrives inside of the, the land of the Cowboys. So TW, tell me a little bit about this clip from this episode. The clip from the episode, it, making a point here, is that if you realized that you could do anything that you want and it would turn out the way that you wanted, in this case, it's bull riding. And the question is rhetorically asked, if you could ride any bull anytime on any occasion, would you really feel that seeking God's help was necessary? Or would you think, hey, I got this. I can do this. I'm the man. Don't need anybody or anything, including God. So as this is an example, we talk about how it works out in the world of rodeo. All right, let's check it out. So within eight seconds, all that work, all that driving, all that money you spent, boom, you were gone. That was it for the tournament or for the rodeo. Wow. So talk about instant feedback, boom. And <laughs> most of these guys lasted four seconds of the ones who were thrown. Most of the people who were thrown lasted four seconds. So all that time, energy, concentration, sacrifice, four seconds, boom, you're gone. And then when they got off, or you last four seconds, <laughs> you don't just say, oh, four seconds, then I step off the bull. No, you're thrown off. These guys were landing flat on their backs with some force. They're landing on their head. They're landing on their shoulder. It was a rough ride. Even the guys who made the eight seconds, not all of them made a clean get off. It was, it was a rough landing. So just getting a lesson out of this whole thing and what I'm trying to pulling from the lesson, because again, this is your, your wheelhouse, right? But I, I love the commonalities of, among life and how it is that it all pulls together. But you know, no matter how good it is that you get it, anything it is that you do at some point you start to think it's about you. And that's kind of, like you said, they have the interviews, they have all the yes people, they have, you know, the TV shows and all that kind of stuff that really starts to pump up your head and boost your ego. And so now you got all this stuff that's telling you that you're awesome. You're great. You're the best. You're the greatest. Uh, and at some point you start to pull back and forget that it was God that got you there in the first place from those guys that were just riding because they're desperate and want just a shot to now the guys who have quote unquote made it, uh, you know, and they're in the big times now somewhere in that track. It's easy to be able to start thinking it's about you and not about, you know, God and God's ability to give you. So I, I think that God has a way of being able to reset you or allow you to be able to go through some things in order to be able to kind of balance it all out again. Got to go back and listen to it. All right, so moving on to episode 14. Why doesn't God answer every prayer? Uh, you know, this is, TW and I were talking, this is probably one of our absolute most positively favorite episode out of all of them because it is such a powerful uh, process of thinking about how and why God answers prayers. But in this clip, we're specifically talking about the law of polar opposites and how it is that sometimes when we pray, we're not thinking that God has to take us through something in order to be able to get to our blessing. So let's listen to what we have to say inside of this clip. 
Whenever somebody wins, then somebody has to be able to lose. It's called the law of polar opposites. I was taught this a, a while back and, and helped me also with my perspective about uh, bad things happening. The law of polar opposites says that for every good thing that happens, there's a bad thing. And for every bad thing that happens, there's a good thing that's equal and opposite in it. In other words, and the example that I used with you earlier in pre-call is that whenever it is that your transmission goes out inside of your car while it is that you're driving, on your perspective, that's horrible worst thing that can happen i can't afford this time wise maybe it is it even stopped you from going to on a vacation or getting to work on time or whatever else maybe it is your last straw before you get fired so you're thinking of all the things that why is it that would god allow this to happen on the flip side there's a guy who it is that's running a mechanic shop that maybe he may have to close down if he can't get any more business in and all of a sudden your transmission going out is the one thing that's able to save him save his family allow his kids to be able to eat allow his kids to be able to go to school law of polar opposite says that for every win there has to be a loss it entertains me when people pray for uh, the outcome of a football game <laughs> like they pray that the, my team is going to be able to win and they're praying pray I saw this at the, the Super Bowl is that they're praying praying to win not praying for me to play my best not praying for for whatever your will be done they're praying that my team wins the Super Bowl well if he answers your prayers there's people on the other team that are saying I'm praying for my team to win the Super Bowl as well so whose prayer does he answer <laughs> or what does he got a favorite team <laughs> teams that he's gonna choose one over the other the law of polar opposite says that if there's a winner there has to be a loser at some aspect of it in order for the mothers against drunk driving and all of the domestic violence, my wife is a domestic violence advocate, so she does a lot of volunteer there. In order for that to have happened, those organizations to have been formed, there had to be somebody that went through it in order to come out the other side and help other people to be able to make it through it. So when they were going through, you couldn't have told them that the God has come. The worst thing that you could say is God is doing this for a reason because that doesn't resonate with somebody who's going through it. But once they come out the other side, more times than not, that benefited somebody who it is that was able um, to give their uh, organs once it is that they passed to somebody who really needed it. That's the law of polar opposites for something that horrific that happened. Then somebody else was able to survive or for scientific breakthroughs to happen because it is, they were able to investigate what it is that happened to this one person. And now they're able to help so many other people based on the research that they had off of this one person who had this rare thing that happened to them. That's the law of polar opposites. Maybe not right away, Maybe not in your life, but for everything that happens, there's an equal and opposite side of it. Yeah. Also, keep in mind, what was one of the most, I don't know, famous, at least obvious situations where something was asked of God, he said yes, but it was on his timetable. And that would be Abraham and Sarah. Absolutely. God promised him that he would have a son. And he waited and waited and waited. And what did he do? He decided that he'd take matters more or less in his own hands and got together with his servant. And, of course, we got that whole set of tribes over there. So there were some, as you said, there were some unintended consequences of him not waiting on God's timing. So you can take matters in your own hands or you can accept a no or you can accept the wait, but know that there is precedent that is recorded for history of where God, who really thought a lot of Abraham, made him the head of the, you know, the whole Jewish tribe, and he still made him wait and wait and wait until he was an old man to have a, to have a son. So you, you know, waiting six months to uh, get your transmission fixed or whatever, uh, <laughs> it means a lot to you at the time, but in perspective, it doesn't mean a lot. 
one of the things that I think about even to this day about answered prayers is that there are three ways that God answers. This is what they tell us in Sunday school. Yes, no, and not now. And we often get confused that we think, well, he said no, but what he's actually saying, not now. It's one of those things, as you said in the clip that we just heard, perspective of time is what you need to understand these decisions. In the moment, you can't tell. It just takes time. Absolutely. And we also take his silence sometimes as um, a him saying no to us. And really, he's sometimes just allowing us to be able to work it out because we've asked, we've jumped the gun and asked for his help whenever it is that we haven't even taken the due diligence to resolve the situation ourselves. So sometimes the silence and him not giving us an answer is the best thing that can happen for us at the time. It's just a matter of having the faith and trusting him and the process of uh, letting, allowing him to control our lives, right? Giving him the steering wheel. Exactly. All right, so now we're on to episode 15, and this is You Don't Give Your Life to Jesus. We had our guest speaker, Larry Reagan, on, and uh, he gave a really, really interesting perspective on giving your life to Jesus. So let's play the clip with his part on how he explains what he means by this, you don't give your life to Jesus, and then we'll talk a little bit about it afterwards. How many of you have ever said this phrase, I gave my life to Christ? And of course, Everybody in both of these sessions raised their hand. I mean, they're believers, they're solid, as, and for the most part, really mature, I believe, believers from a number of different denominations at this conference. It's not a locked-in one-denomination conference. So everybody raises their hands, and I said, listen, I, I don't really believe this is the accurate thing. The real question for Christianity is not, when did you give your life to Christ? The real question of Christianity is, when did you give your death to Christ and he gave you his life? This is one of those ideas put forth, as you'll hear in the replay of the episode. I heard it at a conference where I was volunteering, that this was so stunning and interesting to me. I still think about it. I've talked about it with a lot of people. And it is giving your death to Jesus as opposed to merely saying, I gave my life to Jesus. To have this explained, neither the techie or the cowboy can fully explain this. So I suggest you listen to the entire episode and make a decision after that. We had some interesting back and forth conversation with the, our visitor, our guest visitor, and and just kind of exploring this whole topic. So definitely worth one going back and looking. One of the things I love about all these episodes, now that we've gone through all 15 in these, you know, three different episodes of going through them, is the growth that's happened from the first episode. We've learned so much throughout this whole entire process. We've had a lot of fun, gotten a lot of feedback from different people and tried to implement that. But the whole point of this podcast and why we created it is just two guys trying to figure things out, right? And it's the same way on the technology side on this back end of, of doing the podcast. We're just figuring it out as we go along. So from the length of the, the podcast itself and figuring out where the sweet spot is with that and just, you know, what it is that resonates with you guys, the audience, we love getting your feedback. We love hearing what it is that you think. We love hearing if it made you think about something or if you have a different viewpoint. I mean, we just like hearing the feedback from that. It kind of allows us to know what episodes to be able to create going forward. Or if you have something that you would love for us to talk about, uh, we'd love to be able to hear that from you too, so where we can speak about it and we'll continue to bring on guest speakers that we run across in our lives and in different situations, different questions that we ponder. Anything before we close out, TW, you got to say? 
The last thing that I would say is, whereas now that we're at the end of year one, instead of having trepidation starting out, we don't know what we're doing. What are we going to talk about? Is this going to be any good? I myself, and I can tell in your voice that we are excited to say, you know what? We're kind of hitting our stride here. We might not be the apex of podcasting, but I think what we're doing is meaningful and I would share it with anybody. Absolutely. So we'll keep on cranking. You guys keep on giving us the feedback and hopefully you get a lot of, uh, a lot of value out of what it is that we bring to the table. So with that being said, this is Alistair Hunt, AKA the techie. And this is T.W. Lawrence, AKA the cowboy. Happy one year anniversary, taking the cowboy podcast. Hope you enjoyed it and we'll keep on uh, bringing it forward and see you in season two. Talk to you later. Adios. That's it for this episode. Join us again next time for the techie and the cowboy. Hit us up on our website, thetechieandthecowboy.com. Let us know what y'all think.